But uh, Facebook's the biggest globally for accounts. It's two billion globally. WeChat <laughs> has like one billion. Facebook's two billion. WeChat's one billion. Yeah, but Facebook's two billion globally. And WeChat's, WeChat's one, one billion, billion in China. You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. This is Rohan Kapoor. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, the technology landscape in our country. A lot of big firms that everybody's familiar with. And talk about it in relationship to China and the fact that China has what looks like almost a mirror image in some shape or form of the U.S. tech landscape. If I look down the list and say things like uh, Google and versus Baidu, which is a Chinese equivalent, if I look at uh, uh, Facebook with uh, WeChat and the Tencent organization that has a multiple organizations, I look at WhatsApp, uh, Pinterest versus Mogajor, YouTube versus Yoku, eBay versus Taibo, Twitter versus Cinewabo, there's, and these companies are not small. Some of them are actually bigger than their U.S. counterparts. So uh, we got exposed to one of our clients in dealing with the fact that WeChat had such a huge penetration in the Chinese market that data was being exchanged uh, through the WeChat platform, and it was forcing, uh, from a change management perspective, the adoption of, we had to, we had to really consider WeChat within the corporate architecture, even though it may not have adhered to some of the same standards. But it really exposed us to the fact that there's another world out there that is pretty big. If we look at Alibaba, Bart, you have up on the screen there the uh, the, the Wikipedia. Yeah, and it's not like Alibaba is just a counterpart to Amazon specific for China. Alibaba is actually the largest e-commerce company in the world. What's their market cap, Bart? Um, where is it? They're 352.2 billion as of December 18. Yeah, so it's not insignificant company. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, you guys, we've all prepped for this. We've read some of the, about some of these companies, uh, whether it be, you know, like if I look at Alipay uh, versus PayPal, uh, PayPal's got about a $100 billion market cap. Alipay's $150 billion. And one of the clips we watched preparing for the show, they showed that the Chinese use um, mobile payments uh, a much higher propensity than their U.S. counterparts. Fifty times more, yeah. Right, and l largely because there's still U.S. has a, a decent cash, uh, and they use credit cards. And I think the reason we wanted to talk about this is because I think most people who are not directly involved, at least in their day job, of penetrating the Chinese market or expanding their services for their company, uh, the people who are not directly involved with that maybe have a casual understanding of this difference in the landscape. I think. Uh, from the kind of the data and privacy and security angle, I think more people know about what the European Union is doing in terms of data privacy, data residency, and uh, all the new regulations that went into effect about two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's even I don't want to say worse, but more strict in China and the ramifications it has on managing digital deployments, data hosting, and uh, data delivery is. Uh, it makes it much more complicated to do business in China than if you're a Western company or really anyone outside of China doing business. Yeah. Right? So we were exposed to, you know, you mentioned a previous client around WeChat and why do we bring up WeChat, right? So you, you did the kind of the back and forth. WeChat, and I think you said, we've talked about RenRen before, kind of like another social networking site. It's kind of like their, their Facebook in a way. Facebook's not allowed over there. 
Um, and it's kind of their social marketplace is kind of probably a better word. It started out as a kind of like a WhatsApp competitor from from uh, reading about the history, but it became this broad ecosystem that people use to to access other services, to talk to each other, to read about different things, and it kind of became this massive platform that went beyond just the messaging platform. The interesting point I want to bring up here, uh, just and we can expand upon this, is uh, Huawei just overtook Apple. So, just for, mm-hmm. you said, you say Rahway, like Rahway, New Jersey? Huawei? Huawei? Huawei. I don't know. Uh, no, I think it's silent H. It's, Huawei? Yeah. yeah. I think it's Huawei. Like, wa wa Huawei. Yeah. Because yeah. you say it, I'm going to make sure I get the spelling right, because I, I read about it in the news. Yeah. So yeah. it's H-U-A-W-E-I. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Huawei. They, they, they were already bigger than, uh, <laughs> I think Huawei. they were already bigger than Apple in terms of uh, mobile users in Europe for a while now, well, like, in they terms just, of number of devices. Now global, they as of August this past year, just a few months ago, they passed Apple for uh, market penetration. Uh, global. Global. Oh, so they're second to Samsung now. Now globally. they're second to Samsung oh, as wow, of August. Yeah, that's, that's they're huge. Big. There's interesting The reason point. I said that is because I, I, I don't listen to the news as much as I read it. So the, the the company you're referring to when you say it sounds like Rawway but it's Huawei or right. is H U A W E I. This is the one that they got tangled up with the Canadians. Canadians. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's in the news right now. For so that. it's the company, the Chinese company, that's in the news. And also because of the uh, this five G yep. rollout that they want to do, and the West is concerned yep. about infrastructure. Yeah, there's a heated political landscape right now in terms of the West banning Huawei devices because yep. of the privacy concerns. We can get into that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, alleged, alleged. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you t- look back to our last show on five G, there is an element to the level of influence the big four telecommunications companies have. Right, yeah. public policy, and you have to be open to the fact that they're limiting their competition internationally because they have the power to. Yeah, and the point I'm trying to make yeah. so for Huawei, they they so they're the way that the the mobile market, the mobile app market is there is much different. So Google Play is banned, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, Apple's there, but it's uh, the iTunes Store. It's just, it's it's highly restricted. It's not banned, but it's very restricted. Most of them, most of the average Chinese user uh, citizen has a Huawei phone, and it's running Android software. But the Google Play is banned. The company that really stepped in to offer and really run the App Store is Tencent, mm-hmm. which owns WeChat and QQ, and right? QQ and other yeah. kind of social networking platforms. Yeah, it's, it's really like older. It's kind of like their Facebook, but it's a bit different, right? Yeah. And uh, I think I think my personal theory is that that's why WeChat is so prolific. This is why we consulted our client around how do we if WeChat is so prolific is that if, if that's where people are accessing information and kind of conducting commerce. How do you, as a maybe a traditional company selling products over there, physical goods, kind of engage in a digital way if people are using that platform, right? So it's it's a bit different the way that they, the, the because of the privacy and their security concerns and the different policies they have, the way that you engage on a digital way is much different in China, which is what we're, we're trying to unpack that. Right. So it's not all counterparts, is what you're saying. It's not right. direct. It's counterparts, but it's also different, right? right? Yeah. So not to be not to be too boring, but you know when we talk about application architectures for companies we mm-hmm. we talk we we separate out systems of record versus systems of engagement the systems of record are the big transaction engines that do all the work and the systems of engagement are the presentation layer what 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 my sense of when we looked at WeChat was it's be, it became the prolific go-to presentation layer app in the Chinese market for access to really anything it was yes. a place you go to start and what, and what we were dealing with was how do I start there and end up with the company's product? 
versus trying to drive people into a different presentation layer. Is that fair? It's fair, and it's, you could argue there's a few different forces that cause that, right? So we were talking before around, there's kind of a, a constant IP battle between the West and China. It's just that's yeah. the reality of it. You can comment, you know, everyone's opinion on it. It's yeah. very politically, politically charged. And there are differing approaches to Differing that. approaches to IP and yeah. ownership and everything. But uh, one aspect Bart and I were just talking about is on single sign-on. Oh, the login, yeah, so that's cool. As you, from the past five years or so, maybe longer, you started seeing... Uh, Logging with Facebook for different apps. Yeah. Right. So every app or website or service kind of has its own credential management ecosystem, and just like it's such a pain just to manage your logins everywhere. Facebook and it's very smart of them said, "Hey, just logging with Facebook. Just you know, use us and single sign-on. One you know, one ID, one password." They've been doing that in China for much longer than us, and the the platform that made that happen, Tencent and their WeChat platform. Wow. You access us, so do you guys, and you're good to in go. This ecosystem. So it's in the ecosystem. Yeah. You go onto a system in the U.S., log in with your Facebook credentials, log in with your Google credentials, right. or sign up with email. Right. Mm-hmm. Which which one do you guys choose? I do Google now. Google. I do I do, I do Facebook. I, I'm sad that I do that. It's just out of I uh, use Facebook ease. for Spotify and certain you know casual things, and yeah. I try to I try to have like a nice Google universe of billing services, more you know more mm-hmm. important stuff. I, do, I I only use the email. I never share the credentials. You you individ, you silo everything. No, you? I bought a third party app called LastPass that uses a um, uh, high level of encryption and a large master password that gets you access to uh, all of your passwords so that they manage it, and they'll even auto generate the passwords and remember them for you, and mm-hmm. it, and it works cross platform, so you can it's a basically a browser insert. And it allows you to do that. The IP soft guys were the ones who turned me on to that when they they were able to hack into a lot of stuff based on some of these breaches. So, so wait, <laughs> you're, so you're saying Tencent doesn't even give you multiple options? It's just a single. I don't know if it's if it's that force, but yeah. I think it's it's so dominant. Yeah. And the fact that they run the app store. Yeah. I think them. that they have control over any of the apps that are developed and offered through the app store, the same way that Apple controls what's offered in iTunes app mm-hmm. store. So. For an app to be offered in the Chinese market, it has to kind of work with, we have Tencent's approval and really, you know, it's really unsaid, but it has to really work with the WeChat ecosystem. Mm. And so the concern that U.S. companies have, if I'm using single sign-on authentication um, and I use WeChat and I want to then get into a controlled environment for my commerce uh, and I need that, that single, I need to share credentials. And that's where you get into the issue of Cybersecurity with the concern with that. It's sharing credentials on the user side, and but from a you know enterprise standpoint, yeah. you've heard of the Great Wall, and I think people have heard of the Great Firewall as well. Yep. So the data residency and the uh, the restrictions on data transfer, you know, to inside and out of China, it's very restricted, and that just because of the policies and because of the bureaucracy and administration, the performance over the Great Firewall is extremely slow. Mm. And one of the policies of operating that way, if you have data going in and out or even just residing in China, you have to, as a Western company or you know, a company outside of China, have to expose all of your encryption keys to the Chinese government. Apple. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a concern around, all right, how do we, first of all, how do we engage with users in a digital way? If there's, we, we have to understand the app market, the way that they use services. We also have to understand that what data do we have to have really residing in the country and what are the risks of exposing certain data over the Great Firewall to access those um, or really gain access to those users, right? And so the companies that have done that, like Apple, 
Apple is the only everybody. I mean, yeah. they, they kind of have to, but there's a concern like, how do you do it effectively? Right. Of our yeah. big four here, Apple is the one that's really moved, been able to penetrate there in the yeah. only notable way. way. Yeah. And uh, I think in 2018, they started storing some of the iMessage data there. And now I think we were talking before, it's like a large portion of their storage operation is in, in China mainly. I think I, I think the based on the residency laws that went into effect last year, more mm-hmm. companies are forced to if they want to do business there. Now. Right. It's very similar to EU, but I think it's 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 more strict. Yeah, I think there's similar regulations in India that have been cropping the, up oh, really? over the, the clients past that we have year. when they go to uh when they travel to China, typically they will leave all of their electronics and mm-hmm. computers and phones here and they get a travel computer, travel phone to go to China. And it has a, a separate so they give them the keys. They give them the keys to the equivalent of a burner phone and a burner computer that, that has limited access to certain things while you're on the road. And, you know, a, a lot of this, stems, there's a, certainly a cybersecurity component to it. Mm-hmm. But there's also an intellectual property issue that because, and here's where we have a cultural divide between the West and the East, between how intellectual property is viewed in the public realm. In the West, intellectual property is protected through patent and trademarks and infringements, uh, and it's highly valued and protected through the legal system. Mm-hmm. In the East, less so. Mm-hmm. And so the whole issue of like digital piracy was a big issue. And so, but they don't view it as piracy. That We use that term piracy. They just view it as, well, here's the music. I'm copying it. For my friends or whatever, they, they don't they don't view it. They view it differently. So there's there's an intellectual comp- property component as well to this. And I think that that's what causes so much anxiety if you're an executive thinking how do we penetrate that market. It's, you, know, you, talk, you talked about data architectures before. I mean, we see companies only mirroring what they have to just to uh, adhere to the new laws as of last year. But the issue is performance over the firewall is extremely slow and inefficient. And there's a study done on just you know the user behavior of the Chinese users, and it's really us too as well. Uh, the willingness to you know uh, deal with delays of service is very low. Like their tolerance is very low for that. So if you're if you have to access certain data, like, all right, we have to expose this. It's not sitting in country where it's going to go over the firewall. If you're a user, you get fed up and you use a different service. It's a high risk if it, if your business is around penetration, user engagement, and consumption of digital services. Yeah. So the, the the issue is, all right, mirror only what we should, so we, get, we protect our crown jewels back in America or wherever it's sitting, or do we want a better service, better performance, and have everything sit in country, but have also the risk of having it sit there. Right. Wow. So let's go back to where we started with this, looking at these different companies out there, because at some level, uh, we talked about the, the, the differences in the way that they operate behind the firewall, Information protection is different. Uh, the, the the culture around privacy is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of these companies in the West couldn't necessarily just expand their business model uh, easily into the Chinese market. So that, that created a business opportunity for the Chinese to look at those businesses and say, well, we're going to create this. And they have. They've done, if you look at you know companies like Alibaba, uh, Tencent, uh, Taibu, and Weibo, WeChat, these are not insignificant companies. And now they're moving to the next generation. And in some cases, they're leapfrogging the West. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Can you guys I, give an example of where they're leapfrogging? 
Well, I think there was a um, there was a talk on YouTube from the, one of the founding vice presidents of Google China, and he was talking about um, he ran he runs a VC company, looking at some of the um, some of the companies that they invest in, specifically within AI, mm-hmm. um, and I think the combined valuation of the five startups that he invested in was over $15 billion, the youngest of which was like two years old. So I think when it comes to moving into things like AI and being that being fed, the success of that being fed on the amount of data that they can get, um, I think those companies are now pushing far ahead, especially also with the government, the government controlling a lot of the investment uh, into those kind of companies. So um, it's definitely, they're definitely pu- pulling further ahead than uh, than where a lot of the US startup uh, US startups especially are, are going um, another another area that's outside of high tech and it has to do with also the the central planning versus uh, the, the the western style of you know democratized republics that have their issues as well right so if you look at the US the inf- you would I could argue and I should argue that the infrastructure is falling behind what it ought to be, whether that be the nuclear power industry, the uh, electrical transmission, roads, bridges, even the internet, where we said on one of our prior podcasts, I think our internet speeds, we we rank out in the 20s in the world. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of opportunity, the airports, if you go to Newark Airport, it's like you're landing in a third world country and you compare that to some of the beautiful airports in Europe and Asia, it's not even a, a comp. So infrastructure is another area where you start to see this, and it's the corollary of high tech is now, if you look at things like what China's doing with the coal, uh, with nuclear uh, nuclear energy, and also some of the renewable energies, they're now surpassing the West in terms of some of those core capabilities. And you bring up, you know, what else are they leapfrogging? I think their focus is market penetration and market share consumption. Uh, we, we were just, I mean, I don't know if we have this clip ready, but we were talking about uh, the way China uses mobile payments. Mm-hmm. And they, they have a huge, I mean, and it's based in their culture as well. They focus a lot on democratizing access to these services and really democratizing access to participate in digital commerce. So we were, they were talking about the, China, the, the way that they use mobile payments that circumvent credit card companies and those traditional clearinghouses, just going direct bank to bank. It's much, it just dwarfs what the West, particularly the U.S., uses and the example this guy i forgot the guy's name i don't know if he, do you know his name yeah he's the example uh, they gave was that you know even a beggar on the street yeah. has access to china's kind of their version of apple pay right but it just doesn't use credit card companies i think you could argue that oh the access is easier because you, you just need a digital account somewhere you don't need to be approved from a credit standpoint and the more people are on these platforms the more the higher the chance of them consuming even a small amount of commerce but that adds to the gdp when you have 1.5 billion people yeah right. and then how many you said 700 million have, internet users they have it's, 780 million internet users but yeah. they only have 50 percent internet usage in the country whereas yeah. the u.s has i think like 280 million and we're at 80 percent right yeah and so like, just think of this is what we're talking about now yeah they have a billion the accounts on wechat and it's pretty much all china and uh B- batan I don't, I don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but uh, Facebook's the biggest globally for accounts. It's two billion globally. WeChat <laughs> has like one billion. Facebook's two billion. WeChat's one billion. Yeah, but Facebook's two billion globally. And WeChat's, WeChat's one, one billion, billion in China. Country. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the breadth of what they, the, the sheer number of people and the, the usage through the democratization of some of these technologies is giving them a, the opportunity to really, really push forward, supported by a, a business-friendly and government-friendly environment. Along with the roadblock that you brought up. I mean, you, they could argue that there's other reasons why they put in those data regulations, but again, it's another roadblock slowing down companies to adapt from a data architecture standpoint. Yeah. Hey, let's just continue expanding and taking over. It's, it's, it, it just think it's big now. Think of the potential. Fifty percent turns to eighty percent. In country goes to global, for WeChat adoption or other platforms. It's huge. Yeah. So, how much do you think the uh, the politics drives national politics rather drives the business environments and the ability for these companies to flourish in their in their own backyards relative to them globally. Uh, one of the parallels that occurred to me with something we talk about with clients is it seems like uh, the business environment in China where they're able to you know, pilot these new ideas and AI and get around some things that would, I think, raise either privacy concerns here or just take longer to implement because of the nature of the environment is, do they kind of have at a national level this top-down innovation mandate which I think within a company here, we've talked about helps to have when you're trying to do digital deployments. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because look at, so with um, with a lot of Alibaba's um, payment technologies that they put in Alipay, um, I think the Chinese government takes an approach of go and try something and if it works successfully, then you can We'll endorse you steam. as long as you work with us. Whereas like imagine if Facebook came out with a payment payment technology Visa, American Express, all these companies would rally up against it. The government will get involved. They put regulation in place. The Chinese government only puts regulation in place if they see problems coming up. And that's not generic. I mean, Chinese, the Chinese government were one of the first to ban crypto, right? So it's not like everything they have a free-for-all. It's we. If you go and do yeah. it, Alipay's proved success. So go for it, right? And yeah. If there's problems, we'll regulate it. It's, it's, they also didn't have control over it, right? It's it's, it's very much they, they have much more control over industry than you know a, a Western country in comparison. Yeah. And blockchain, you know, in and of itself, is supposed to be yeah. based on d distributed technology, That's right? Also so true, yeah. there's that it's component tough, as well. But just think about broadly approach to innovation, right? We uh, we talk about CRISPR a lot on this podcast and and this, you know in our company, uh, it's constant conversation back and forth between the US, between the UK, other European countries. Like, what do we do? I mean, I don't, how do we test this on, hum on humans? And then China just does it. Yeah. They, te they, they, they uh, showed that you could change a gene and they reversed, uh, it was a form of cancer, leukemia or something in, the, in that one individual. I think it was, I think it was leukemia. They just check. go ahead and do it. They did it, I think yeah. So traditional and spectrum of ethics, right? You have Kantian ethics, you have utilitarian yeah. ethics. Western, I think, more aligns with Kantian, you know, fight for the individual. You talked about this in yep. terms of IP, IP, IP ownership and patents. Yep. Uh, so we wouldn't, even if it's better for the whole, you don't want to sacrifice the uh, morality or the protection of the individual. Whereas I think China, and it's and again, it's forms of gray. It's not like there's extremes, but they are more willing to... Uh, put that aside. What it, how it, how it affects on the short term or on the individual basis for the betterment of the whole for their society Absolutely. for the country and in the long term. And the long term is get there first, innovate faster, get market share first. Yeah, it's the biggest diff overarching difference between the cultures, both broadly mm -hmm. and in business. But it's um, al also the the operating model. So think think of when we get involved in deploying uh, the technologies. At some level, we have a sense. That we know, if you could deploy this without the speed bumps and the obstacles, mm -hmm. yeah, that it would have a tremendous benefit. Mm -hmm. But because of the ecosystem, whether it be in a company or politically, 
Like if I think about it, I want to deploy a high-speed rail network between Boston and Washington, D.C., uh, there's a lot of people who can say no. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Whereas in a, if China made the same decision using their form of government and they wanted to put a high-speed rail between Boston and Washington, it would just happen. And it, it, and therein lies a difference. I'm not, you can, I'm not advocating we go to a Chinese forum, but you just understand the differences. Right. And, and when we're looking at the deployment and the penetration of these technologies in society, you're, you might find that in certain realms, like certain kinds of technology and certain deployments, whether it be the genetics research and things that have some controversy that's inhibiting the deployment here, it's not going to have that, and you're going to find mm-hmm. the advancements happening in other realms, like China. Think about AI. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, even even yeah, a lot of stuff like that where a, they don't have the issues. We covered this on the Gartner yeah. Data and Analytics Trends. One of the trends, if you look, we can provide this link for the top ten trends for Data and Analytics 2019. Explainable AI, right? We have a social responsibility to explain the black box that governs AI systems and algorithms. I think that there's less of a concern yeah. in the Eastern market. I mean, it's just, it, it aligns yeah. with their philosophy. And, and to that point and to your point before about how innovative ideas get talked about and China just goes and does it while it's they being talked about it. here. I think in real time, talent from the West is being pulled to China because they just want to go, like the engineers who don't want to deal with the politics right, yeah. and the business culture of here, they're like, oh, I can actually go. And as long as I work with the government, I can go follow my passion and actually work on this technology there. And we're not saying it's right or wrong. It's just notice the difference in yeah. terms of are we waiting for Congress to pass some resolution or this, you know, for the public to be okay with some kind of innovation, or do you want to just go and do it? Yeah, and there's smart researchers who just want to follow the path to least resistance to pursue their passion. And the AIs, I think, is a good example because they have so much access just to data points that we, you know, we work with this, these technologies all the time. And one of the roadblocks, you know, Mm -hmm. beyond just the barriers and the, from the bureaucracy standpoint is access to data to train these systems. Mm -hmm. Right. And a a lot of that, a lot of the roadblocks there are privacy. Privacy. Yeah. And, and just the sheer numbers, look at the number of people and the amount that they're engaging in in digital technology. Just think in Europe, the GDPR uh, regulation that went in last year. Right. Uh, it's just one. It's just one more roadblock, and right. you can say that that's a good thing, public policy wise. And I'm, I would probably agree with that. That's a good thing. Yeah. The issue is, you just have to understand it in the context of technology deployment. It has the effect of a speed bump, where in other areas, like in China, they may not have those same speed bumps, and so you're likely to see the advancements manifest more rapidly in those in those cultures. So it's just an interesting. I, I was with a. CIO of an insurance company last night. And he said, you know, one of the big inhibitors for AI deployment and insurance for risk management, which is a, a great tool mm-hmm. to do that, is the regulators saying, we need to know how decisions are being made. And uh, there was a bunch of people in this meeting. Uh, and the other thing that they talked about was interesting. A lot of people were talking about, you know, ensuring that, you know, this gets into the political correctness side, that there's no bias in the data. Mm-hmm. That we're ensuring fair outcomes, whatever fair means, and these are Western values applied that will inhibit the deployment of these technologies. Now, again, you could argue that those inhibitors are the proper safeguards and guardrails for the deployment of this technology. It's not because it's not the goal isn't to deploy technology as fast as you can. Just understand that other cultures, other societies are not gated by those, and we're likely to see more advancements in the technology there. I think also um, 
when you look at when you talk about this topic also thinking about the capital investment side of it china's also throwing their weight and regulation tends to also in in, in addition to pe- a lot, lot more people being able to say no and slowing down progress that way there's also the financial burden that incumbents and also new companies coming into different industries face when they have to tie up a bunch of their capital that there's an opportunity cost there right where that capital could be invested otherwise but it's just adhering or complying with some of this regulation so, so i think there's that piece we're too. at about the half hour mark this is about as far as there's a lot to talk about here so what i would suggest we do in one of our future podcasts is we go in and pick one or two um specific technologies crispr or the genomic editing could be one we could pick something else uh where we can show how china is accelerating faster than the west as a result of some of these constraints and then just think about what the implications of that are and so just like that we went through a phase over the last 30 50 years you pick your time frame where there was this paradigm of china copying the west we may find ourselves in a situation in the future where the West copies China. And I think there's already examples of that. We can, yep. we can unpack that. Yep. Yeah, be great. So I think that'd be a good, a good example to see that because when, when companies are looking for the, the front edge of innovation, it may not always exist in Silicon Valley. Yep. Right. Fair. Cool. Okay. Great. All right. Thanks, thanks everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Right, thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts, in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain, uh, the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.